When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen? How do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. I love Anchor because it allows me to record without having to spend thousands of dollars on equipment that I would probably have difficulty using anyways. So Anchor makes it all possible with a simple app. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me, Lou Mavs, and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Looking for some new podcasts to listen to? Well, Rat Sound Review Network has plenty of shows to choose from, like Rat Sound Review, where they discuss the latest rock and metal news, as well as interviews and albums. Album versus Album, the King Diamond Podcast, with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and sometimes this guy. Smack him a gob! Ralph Vieira is also on our network with the Vieira Bowl. There's also Old Man Metal's Musings, where he discusses heavy metal and beer. Music is Life with Lou Mavs. The Right Opinion for Those Who Love Politics. A South Park podcast called Suck My Balls. The Infinite Fringe. A watch-along wrestling show called Beyond Bushido, ex-Stradivarius guitarist, the Timo Tolki podcast, and the great Harry Barnett with I Don't Even Like Podcast and The Laughcast. So check out RatSoundReview.com or search RatSoundReview on YouTube, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. You're listening to the Music is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mabs, on the Rat Sound Review Network. Music is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mabs, available exclusively on the Rat Sound Review Network and also wherever you can find your streaming platforms to listen to all your podcasts. Still trying to figure out how to word that better. It's <laughs> it's not working well. And you could also check me on YouTube on the Music is Life podcast channel. And I just passed my 40th episode of the podcast. This is episode 41. And it's been two years since I started and I finally made it to 1,000 total listens. And I want to thank everybody out there who subscribes to the podcast, who supports me. It really means a lot. <laughs> it means more than you think. Uh, I'm currently in Le Studio Corolla, just coming off an Uber Eats route. And I'm about to go home because I got work in the morning. But I felt like recording a special episode as a thank you to, well, everybody out there who gives me the time of day. It really means a lot. You know, I try to promote the show as much as I can, but it's difficult because it's like once it's done, once I'm done recording an episode, I'm like, okay, it's up. And I'm thinking, you know, whoever subscribes to it, you know, it pops up in their podcast feed and I'm just like, well, you know whoever subscribes to it is going to hear it and they're going to see, oh, new episode and they're going to listen to it, but you know it's a, it's a lot more work than that you know, I need to 
provide more content for people to listen to. You know, I need to do a lot more, and, I, and I'm aware of that. And I plan on doing a lot more. You know, I plan on creating a website to go along with the page, and you know, just doing a lot more than I should be. And I got, you know, my my roundtable, Bob Mango and Matt Michelo to help me out with that. And, you know, I'm really grateful for it. But I, I feel like for this episode, I want to do two special things. I want to talk about what got me into broadcasting and what got me to this point. And also my top 10 favorite bands. What are Lou Mavs' top 10 favorite bands? And I, I tell you. There are so many bands who didn't make the cut, and I'm just like, oh, man. I grew up with with this group, and, and they're not even in the top ten. Or, you know, I've been listening to them a lot more as of recently, and they didn't make the top ten. But, you know what? I have to be objective about it. So I will list my top ten bands after I do this. After I... Explain to everybody what caused me to start Music is Life in the first place. So, I guess you could rewind back to spring, uh, yeah, spring of 1998. Senior at Bryant High School in Long Island City, Astoria, Queens, for those who don't know. And I was filling out applications for colleges. You know, I applied to Seton Hall University, which is host to 89.5 FM, WSOU, probably the most influential college hard rock heavy metal radio station in the entire country. And I remember my brother Tony drove me there to apply in person and take... It wasn't an SAT, but it was to take an exam. It was an entrance exam to get in. And I passed it. So I had gotten accepted to Seton Hall, which, truth be told, was my first choice and my only choice. It was the only school I really wanted to go to. I wanted to be a part of WSOU. But then what happened was in the mail they stated what they would provide for me and it wasn't a lot of scholarships you know it was it was a little you know and my parents insisted on paying to send me to college and I didn't want them to pay to send me to college so at the time I was actually contemplating joining the military for however many years so that they could pay for my college tuition. And I was 17 at the time. I was gung-ho about joining the Marines. I know those who know me, who look at me as, well, me, probably think, "Ah, I don't know if you would have survived the military. But it's true. I was driven to join because... I didn't want to I didn't want to put I did not want to put the burden on my parents to pay for my college tuition and I didn't want to take out any school loans. So I figured, okay, join the military, free ride. Of course, I also love my country and I love the United States, you know, I feel blessed to have been born here, the son of two Uh, immigrants from Greece but regardless you know I I wanted to join and my father was vehemently against it you know my dad was born in 1937 my mom 1939 which for anyone out there who knows history knows that that's the year that Hitler invaded Poland And Europe was in World War II before America got involved. As everyone remembers, Pearl Harbor Day, December 7th, 1941, 
that was the day that America got involved in the war. But the war was fought in Europe and anyone who lived it remembered that it was a nightmare. You know, Getty Lee's parents were Holocaust survivors. Gene Simmons' mother was a Holocaust survivor. I think both of his parents were. So my father said, I don't want you to go to war if one breaks out. Mind you, this is before 9-11, 2001. And here I'm thinking, I'm like, Dad, we're, we're evolved as a society. War is not going to break out. Oh, was I wrong? But I was still adamant about joining the military. And he said, listen, I'll cut a deal with you. If you get accepted to a university where all it would cost me to send you is the same as it would to like a Hunter College or a CUNY, uh, Queens College or whatever, you'll go to college. If you don't, if you don't get any scholarships or any grants or whatever, then you can join the military. The significance of this is that it was the first time ever that my dad made a deal with me. My dad never cut deals. My dad did not like deals. He he thought that, you know, making a deal with your child was stupid. You don't negotiate with your kids. And again, I was 17 at the time. So for all intents and purposes, I was still a kid. But the fact that my dad was willing to make this deal with me, I said, okay, this is a this is a pretty big deal. So I said, all right, Pop, no problem. Deal. And I, and I had filled out applications for St. John's University as well and Queens College and NYU. So for all those all the colleges that I applied, I only got one rejection, and that was from NYU. Queens accepted me. And St. John's University accepted me. But not only did they accept me, but the ride was practically free. All... At the time, St. John's was $7,000 a semester. So you add it up, that's $14,000 a year. This is in 1998, mind you. $14,000 a year, now St. John's is about $14,000 a semester. So with the scholarships and everything, they were going to cover $11,000 a year if I kept the 3.0 GPA and I graduated in four years. So in other words, my dad got his way and I had to honor the deal. Which, you know, I'm a man of my word. And I said, okay. So my dad spared sending me to the, you know, to join the ranks. And I got to go to college on practically a free ride. Now, before anyone says white privilege... Please kindly go fuck yourself. I came from a very lower middle class family and I'm not ashamed to admit it. My mom was a stay-at-home working, a stay-at-home mom and my dad owned his own business for 30 years. He was an auto mechanic, he owned his own auto shop. 30 years. 6 days a week, 12-hour days to put food on the table, to make sure that the bills were paid. He, he, he stepped up like a man does. And sorry if that offends anyone with the more than one gender shit. Sorry, I'm not buying it. My dad was a good man and he was a good role model. And he stepped up to the plate for his family, which is what I try to do for my family. Have I needed help in the past? Yeah. I have. So did he. And when people saw that we were willing to help ourselves, they helped us. And there's nothing wrong with that. And what do you do? You pay it back or you pay it forward or you do both. So, you know, I'm forever grateful to him for raising me the way that he did. And I got to go to college on practically a free ride based on my merit. It had everything to do with the fact that I busted my ass through school. I was involved in a lot of extracurricular activities. 
including community activities, and also I worked. I worked with him, helping him to fix cars. I also worked at Baskin Robbins, which was the worst job ever. Um, and I ended up going to college and I joined their college radio station. Why did I pursue college? Why did I pursue radio? Well, when I was younger, I wanted to pursue a career in journalism. I didn't want to be unlike any of the news channels, but I loved radio because I grew up listening to old time radio shows like Abbott and Costello Groucho Marx, You Bet Your Life. Yeah, I realize it's 30 years after the fact, but I remember listening to those tapes and I fell in love with radio. And I also fell in love with audio. So I thought joining the radio station, I would hone skills in audio engineering. And, you know, I was editor of the high school newspaper two years in a row, uh, Lisa Zaman was my co-editor the first year and Win Nguyen was my co-editor the second year. And I learned about editing and crafting a story through them and I'm forever grateful to them. But I really wanted to pursue the radio thing and I was really bummed that there was no communications program in my high school. But again, Bryant was a math science school. I had originally gotten accepted to go to school, to go to high school at the High School of Graphic Communication Arts in Hell's Kitchen, which, by the way, the cool thing about it was that it was right around the block from the original Troma building. Troma being the independent movie studio that released Toxic Avenger, Class of Newcomb High, Troma's War, Terra Firmer, Tromeo and Juliet. Some of my favorite films. Yes, I have a very weird taste, but I love Lloyd Kaufman's movies. But at the time that I got accepted, and I did get accepted to graphic arts, Hell's Kitchen was still Hell's Kitchen. So it was not the safest place. And I just figured, you know what? Let me try my weight out at Bryant. Even though my mom wanted me to go to McClancy, which was an all-boys school, I wasn't going to have that. <laughs> um. So yeah, I blew my shot at graphic arts because I turned it down. And I probably would have had everything at my hands, you know? Probably would have had the chance to do everything there. But I figured, you know what? In my mind, it was more important to stick out in a crowd. So I figured, well, instead of blending in with a crowd at Graphic Arts, let me stick out of the crowd at Bryant. So my plan worked. And then at St. John's, that's where I met Bob, and I met Matt, and I met a whole bunch of other friends that I, I still have to this day through the college radio station, through the television center, and through the TV club. And the first guy who I was their co-host was Joe Galante, a.k.a. Nino. He did a wrestling talk show, and I was his co-host. And I learned a lot from him, and I'm forever grateful to Joey. Because, you know, he gave me my first break. And when I ended up getting my own show, I had Bob as my co-host. And I had Matt come in whenever he felt like it. And we had a great time playing, you know, metal. You know, at the time we played metal, hardcore, hard rock. You know, we did all that stuff. And it was wonderful. So fast forward to junior year. And it was time to do internships. And I wanted to intern for 102.7. At the time was WNEW. I don't know what they are now. I'm so um, detached from, from radio right now. And at the time, Eddie Trunk was on... Well, he was on the air with uh, 
I think it was Saturday Night Rocks. I don't think Friday Night Rocks had started yet. But I wanted to intern there. Because at the time, I was a huge Eddie Trunk fan. I know in the past couple of episodes, you know, I've said the words, fuck Eddie Trunk. Because I've I've kind of lost respect for him. Because he seems like a dinosaur. He seems stuck in a in a in a time now where it's like anything after 1989 has no relevancy to him, which I completely disagree with. I think it's I think it's dumb to ignore the bands and artists that have come out since that heyday of quote-unquote hair metal or whatever you want to call it. You know, there's been so so much good stuff that's come out, especially in the last 10 years. You know, look at what Century Media puts out. Look at what Nuclear Blast puts out. Look at what Sumerian puts out. Look at what bands are doing on their own without a label. And the fact that it doesn't have any bearing on what came out in the 80s, that's why I don't have respect for Eddie Trunk now. He's a, he's completely entitled to his opinion and I don't agree with it, but I don't think his opinion is the be-all, end-all. And I don't think it's right that so many people adhere to what he says. Again, I said a long time ago, stop with the idolization. But back to my story. So I ended up not... I, I couldn't get an internship with 1027 because apparently they had stopped doing college internships. So I ended up interning somewhere else, which was fine. And it was for Merrill Lynch Video Network in the second tower of the World Trade Center. Fast forward senior year. They had offered me an opportunity to be the assistant to the VP of the Video Network. Could have made a lot of money in my senior year. And just gone to school at night. Because I think I only had 28 credits. So I could have gone to work. Taken the train to St. John's at night. Taken my night courses. I turned it down. Because I told my parents. I said I want to be with my friends. For my senior year. Because I don't know if I'll ever see them again. A lot of my friends ended up moving to different states. You know, Michelle Muentes, who I used to call Mac, whom I'll always love dearly, she ended up moving to Texas with her husband, Vinny, and their two beautiful children. My friend Hutt ended up moving to California and worked on various kinds of films. What kinds of films? Well, you'd have to ask him. (laughs) But he did work in film, and I'm so happy for him. Point being... I said I wanted to be with my friends for my final year. My parents said it was the dumbest thing I ever did. Now, funny thing is, the following week after school started, that's when 9-11 happened. And being in New York, being from New York, And having been in that building the previous season, knowing that that could have been me there, I dodged a huge bullet. And it was frightening to know that I felt safe while I was there. And seeing from the top of Marillac Hall with an HD beta well, it was, a, it was a beta camera, a Sony beta camera in my hand, videotaping the towers burning, thinking that maybe if something else happened, I could have filmed it and the trajectory of wherever it, you know, wherever it came from, if, it, if, it, if the buildings got hit again, I could have given it to like the police or send it to the FBI or whatever. You know, I could have done something. Instead, I filmed the buildings 
crashing and collapsing in front of me. Now, I always took pride in the fact that I could film without a tripod. A tripod is what you put a camera on to hold it still. And I had a very good steady hand. For the first time ever, my hand shook. And I was I was mortified by what I saw. And I never wanted to hold another camera again. <sighs> Point being is that I loved radio so much and I loved you know, filming and working in television and editing and all that. And that one day made me second guess everything to a point where I didn't want to do production. This is September 11, 2001. And... You know, I got to see the best of the country come together and help out their fellow human beings. Politics aside, religion aside, you know, I, I got to see the, the, the best rise up. And it gave me hope. But I lost direction. You know, I didn't want to get a job in radio anymore. I definitely didn't want to get a job in filming. I, I didn't. I didn't want any of that stuff. I did a couple of odd jobs here and there, you know, like I did freelance for MSNBC for an episode of Hardball at Seton Hall University. Nonetheless, the reason why I got that gig was because one of the professors who taught audio engineering on Saturdays, he worked at MSNBC, and he got me the gig which I was you know, I was grateful for it, but I didn't think much of it. Shortly after that, I got hired at ASCAP. So that's when I made music my priority, you know, formed a band, wrote some songs, a lot of gigging. Um, but, you know, that was, two, that was September 2002. At the time, I was working at Cablevision on the 4 to Midnight Shift, you know, doing master control. So I was doing boring work. Just, you know, saving my money, living at home, and uh, trying to get a band started. And in 2003, December 2003, right before my wife and I became a couple, um, I was diagnosed with a hiatal hernia. So I had to put the dream of touring and getting signed, I I had to put it to rest because I needed health insurance. Which, you know, almost uh, 20 years later, I feel fine. And I've done more gigs in the past oof, 10 years of my life than I, than I ever did in my 20s. And, you know, music still had meaning for me. But, you know, I was still trying to work my way up in the television industry. And the whole time I was told, every time I tried to get a promotion, only once when I moved to a different department was I not told the words you never want to hear when you're trying to move up in your company or in your industry. And those words are, we need you where you are. My whole life I've been told, we need you where you are. And I hate those words more than anything. I hate being told th that my value is what other people deem it. And when my daughter Anna was born... On July 21st, 2018, I said to myself, I will never let anyone determine my value again. And I meant those words. 
So when she was born, I was on paternity leave. And my last week of paternity leave, I ended up going for a job interview on Long Island, which is where I live. So I ended up accepting the offer my last day of paternity. That Monday, I went back into the city over at NBC, where I dealt with a horrible manager. And I asked her, I said, oh, by the way, that um, that performance uh, evaluation, is that still going on? And she said, yes. The reason why I was being evaluated was because I gave a little blowback to this one manager whom I thought didn't know what she was doing. And having been in the industry for 15 years, I expressed a different opinion for her. And then they called me problematic. So I took that as, okay, there's nothing I could do at NBC that's going to help me move up. So I got to get out. And that Monday, when she said the words, yes, you're still under a performance evaluation, I said, great, I quit. (laughs) I quit. And I tell you, it's great. It's a great feeling to really get the final nail in to people who make your life miserable. Because there's nothing they could have done. So I left, packed up my stuff, never went back to the city, never went back to the world of television. But the job that I ended up leaving NBC for, I got laid off after two months. (laughs) Um, It just wasn't the right fit. But this time, I was driving Uber, so I could collect unemployment, drive Uber, send my resume out, And, you know, we were under my wife's benefits, so we were okay. Still had the mortgage, but we were okay. And my wife brought up the idea, you know, it's a shame that you never really pursued a career in radio or podcasting. And I said, well, what makes you think I could do it? She said, well, because you loved doing it and you were good at it. And my my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law, Mike and Melissa, who do Marrow Wealth, they said, you should really pursue it. Maybe you can monetize on it. Maybe you could do something with it. So they were the first ones to believe in me to start a podcast. And I thanked them for it. And I had really good influences to create a podcast. I had um, J.Cab Morris from Yakuza Kick Radio. And I had Ralph Vieira and Ian Wadley over at Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. And I also got to give a shout out to Wade Banks, a tattoo artist and music fan, and apparently a musician now, who started Wadio Radio, and, you know, his thing was promoting Long Island talent to an internet stream. And, you know, he laid the groundwork for guys like me to go into podcasting. So I have to thank those gentlemen for laying that groundwork. And my brother-in-law was the one who turned me on to Anchor and said, you know, you can record your podcast on this and branch it out, they do the work for you where they'll send it to iTunes, they'll send it to Amazon, they'll send it to Podbeam and Spotify and all that stuff. So I said, all right, I'll I'll give it a shot. And I recorded my first episode while driving, not realizing I had to turn the Bluetooth off. (laughs) A lot of learning curves with uh, doing a podcast, but... Here I am at episode 41, two years later, finally got a thousand listens. And that was the path that led me from there to here. And now I am a member of Rat Salary Review on the flagship show with Wayne and Greg. 
And Wayne was the first guy to really, who had a podcast, who really believed in what I was doing and wanted me on board. So I'm forever grateful to him. And I get to be on Beyond Bushido with James and Eric, which I love. And when we do a show together, I get to bring Matt and Bob along with the ride. So along for the ride. So, you know, all those people I have to, you know, give thanks to. And everyone that I've interviewed on the show, including ones that you haven't heard yet because I'm still editing them. You know, um, forever grateful to George Fullen for doing his interview with me. I'm grateful to Melissa, who did an interview with me, who you'll hear soon. Just, you know, my biggest problem is there's not enough hours in a day to do what I want. But I plan on getting it done. So that's the story of what led me to start Music is Life. And music's always been my life. I I love playing it. I love writing it. I love recording it. I love performing it. And, you know, what started as a podcast about the do's and don'ts of a musician turned into something completely different. It's, you know, remembering the way the industry was then, comparing it to how it is now, and just talking about it and putting a my own perspective on it and including others. And it's it's been wonderful. And everyone who's given my podcast a time of day, I thank you from the bottom of my heart because I'm here and I'm not going anywhere unless it's up. And hopefully you come along with me. So that's the spiel. And now we move on to the next part of the show where I talk about my top 10 favorite bands. Everyone's asked me, what are Lou's top top 10 favorite bands? So here they are. And I really feel bad because there's a lot of bands that I love that I couldn't put on the list. But I'm not going to discuss what those are. I'm only gonna I'm only going to discuss the top ten. So my top ten favorite bands starting from number ten. Pantera. And that might shock a lot of people because you know they were a nineties band that came out after Thrash Metal was started by bands like Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, Anthrax, Venom. Yes, I know Pantera was a 90s band. And I know that they started as a glam metal band. So why Pantera? Dimebag Daryl. Who, for me, was everything that I loved about guitar. He was fire. He was passion. He was technique. He was feel. He was... He set the blueprint for disrupting the status quo because in the 90s, when everyone wanted to be Pearl Jam or Green Day, he was doing his own thing. And I'm fortunate. I got to see Dimebag play live, opening for my favorite band of all time. And it was one of the most memorable performances I ever saw. Pantera was fucking amazing. And Far Beyond Driven, that's my album from them. And, you know, Losing Dime, that, 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 that hurt, man. That really hurt. You know, he was, unfortunately, he was murdered on stage in Columbus, Ohio at uh, Al... Uh, I forgot the name of the club. Al Rosa something. And uh, killed killed in front of his brother. In front of the entire audience. Shot point blank, I think, four times. You know, it was a shame. And, you know, I think he could have... I think he was the 90s equivalent to guitar 
of what guys like Eddie Van Halen and Randy Rhodes were in the 80s. So rest in peace, Dimebag Daryl. That's my 10th favorite band of all time is Pantera. Favorite album, Far Beyond Driven. Number nine, Thin Lizzy. Now, why Thin Lizzy? Let me tell you. Every double guitar band that ever came out after them owes Thin Lizzy a debt of gratitude. Whether it was a guitar team of Scott Gorham and Brian Robertson or Scott Gorham and Gary Moore or Scott Gorham and John Sykes. But those dual twin guitar harmonies, butter on a hot biscuit. Favorite album from them, Black Rose. Second favorite, I would say Thunder and Lightning. Third, Bad Reputation. Either way, check them out. And Phil Linnett is probably, in my opinion, the greatest rock star that ever lived. I mean, everything about him was cool. So then, Lizzie. Number eight, Motorhead. <laughs> I love Motorhead so much, I have a Funko Pop of Lemmy. At my desk in my office at work. I love Motorhead. Orgasmatron is my favorite album from them. And I don't think you could have gone wrong with any lineup. Whether it was the original of Lemmy, Fast Eddie, and Filthy Animal. Or the lineup that took place right after that. Where Brian Robinson of Thin Lizzy replaced Fast Eddie. The Orgasmatron lineup, which brought us Warzel and uh, Phil Campbell. The lineup after that, where Filthy Animal came back to the band and replaced Pete Gill. Or when Filthy Animal was replaced by Mickey D. Every lineup of Motorhead has a Class A album. Again, my favorite being Orgasmatron. And just... Motorhead had to have been the loudest band that I've ever seen in concert. And I had seen them three times and they were amazing. And Lemmy was always consistent with the music that he put out. It was always good. Like ACDC, you knew what to expect, but holy crap, everything they did was gold. So all the love in the world to Lemmy and the boys, Motorhead, number eight. Number seven, UFO. Michael Schenker has become my top, one of my top four guitar players of all time. Positioned right at number four. And I also got to give a lot of love to the Paul Chapman era as well. And, you know, respect to Atomic Tommy M., Tommy, Tommy McClendon, who I'm friends with on Facebook, who I'm very grateful for that. And there's also Lawrence Archer, who I think he played on the High Stakes and Dangerous Men album. And also Vinnie Moore, who's been their guitar player since 2004. Like, I just think UFO, if it wasn't for them, you wouldn't have bands like Def Leppard in the 80s. I think UFO, Motorhead, and Thin Lizzy are the most underrated bands to have come out of the 70s. And, you know, their sound, their influence, their songwriting, their albums, all classic stuff. Favorite UFO album? Lights Out. If you really want to hear uh, Shanker Shine, you got to listen to uh, Too Hot to Handle, the title track, Lights Out, and Love to Love. Number six, Typo Negative. Never have I been prouder to say that I'm from New York City until Typo Negative came into my life. Four dudes from Brooklyn 
who played long, drawn-out songs that incorporated influences from metal, hardcore, industrial, goth, punk. It was... It was a petri dish of influence. All brought to life thanks to Peter Steele. Rest in peace to Peter Steele. Although I said Slow Deep and Hard was one of the 10 best metal albums, in my opinion, it's not my favorite album. Neither, excuse me, neither are obvious choices such as Bloody Kisses and October Rust. Love those albums but not my favorite. My favorite of theirs is their last one, which is Dead Again. Because to me, it combines all the best elements of Typo Negatives music and Carnivore. Considering that the year before, Pete was actually touring with Carnivore. So there was definite carnivore influence in Typo's music. But then again, you know, Pete wrote all of it. And it was written at a most vulnerable point in his life. And he was very honest. And, you know, to me, the best art is always the most honest. So Dead Again is my favorite album from them. And, you know... They were the most important band for me throughout high school, middle school and high school. You know, I really just related to how they were feeling. And, you know, it's been 11 years. Well, it's been 14 years since Typo's last album. 11 years since they've been together because they broke up when Peter died. And I miss the hell out of that band. So, Typo Negative, dead again. Number six. Oh, wait a minute. Did I count that right? What did I said? I said Pantera, 10, Thin Lizzy, 9, Motorhead, 8, UFO, 7, Typo Negative, 6. Okay, I'm sorry. Number 5. <laughs> Judas Priest. Growing up, I knew of Priest's singles. You know, Breaking the Law, You Got Another Thing Coming, Living After Midnight, um, love bites, parental guidance. But it wasn't until I bought the Metology box set where I discovered the the deep tracks of Judas Priest. And I ended up loving them more than I love the singles. And again, another metal band where the twin guitar harmonies just... Like butter on a hot biscuit. And of course, you can't deny the greatness of Rob Halford's voice and his lyrics. My opinion on him since he came out hasn't changed. Still one of the greatest singers ever. And to me, him coming out, you know, he had to do that. Not going to begrudge the man his happiness. The fact that he admitted it, good for him. Did it change my opinion of them? Absolutely not. You know, and to me, I don't think it's a big deal. You know, wasn't a big deal about Freddie Mercury. Why should it be a big deal about Rob Halford? You know, love the man for their music. And, you know, people need to find their their, their bliss in life. And, you know good on them, but regardless, Priest is just, they're the only band that I could say I've seen as many times as my number two favorite band, and that's because they always put on a good show, they always deliver the goods, no pun intended. Favorite album from them? Defenders of the Faith. That is my album from them. And I love a lot of their stuff, including Jugulator that they did with Tim Ripper Owens, a great album. What do I think of Demolition? I'll skip that one. <laughs> uh, one bad album, I can, 
I, I just wasn't a fan of it. And, you know, that's not a knock on Ripper. Um, I thought Jugulator was great. I thought the album that he did with Iced Earth, Glorious Burden, that's my favorite from them. Um, I'm really looking forward to what him and K.K. Downing and uh, Les Binks are putting out with uh, K.K.'s Priest. That's going to be amazing. I cannot wait to hear that. But yeah, Judas Priest, number five, favorite album from them, Defenders of the Faith. Now, the number four band is a band that I paid tribute to in a... For about five years, I was in a tribute band to this band. Um, my favorite progressive rock band of all time, Rush. Love me some Rush. And, you know, I'm glad I got to see them on the Clockwork Angels tour and the R40 tour. So I got to see their last concert in New York City. Let me tell you, listening to them on record, as great as it is, seeing them live was even greater because I got to see the masters at work. I got to see three amazing musicians work their craft at their best at a point where people told them to slow down and they fired on all cylinders. The two times that I saw them, not one bad show. And God damn, do I miss Neil Peart. Probably my my favorite drummer of all time. And, you know, that was a band that I shared with my late brother, Mikey. He's the one that turned me on to them. So my love for Rush became, you know, it, it was from him. And I'm very proud of the fact that he got to see me play my last concert with Snakes and Arrows. And, you know, he was there, he brought friends of his, and I was, I was so proud. I was just so proud. And I got to play for him and his friends, and my wife was in the audience, and Doc Reinhardt was in the audience. I was proud. Yeah, I'll always have that memory, and we'll always have Rush. Favorite album from them? You know, for the longest time, it was Signals. And then I discovered Farewell to Kings. And that became my favorite album from them. Until, until Clockwork Angels came out. Clockwork Angels is my favorite Rush album. Their last album. I couldn't believe that this band that had been around for at that time almost 40 years released the best album of their career in my opinion. So go check out Clockwork Angels and check out the other two I mentioned, Farewell to Kings and Signals. Signals was the album that got me into Rush. Farewell to Kings was the album with Xanadu and that's my favorite Rush song of all time and possibly my favorite song of all time. So yeah, check that out. Number three, Van Halen. Van Halen, Eddie is God to me. Eddie will always be God to me. I mean, he's just, if it wasn't for seeing the jump video on on television and seeing this guy smile as he was playing his guitar, doing the two-handed tapping, if I didn't see that, I probably would have never picked up the instrument. But, you know, Eddie was a guy who made me want to pick up the guitar. And I mentioned it before on my tribute to Eddie. I said, you know, the music of Van Halen was the first time that I found something that I could identify with. And I still mean that to this day. My favorite album from them is what I consider the my favorite album of all time, which is Fair Warning. Their fourth album, their 1981 album. I suggest everyone check that out. But if you want to hear more about Van Halen, just go back and listen to my episode where I pay tribute to him. Number two, Iron Maiden. 
the band that made me a metalhead. <laughs> you know, and I just remember seeing Eddie on the cover of Number of the Beast, thinking to myself, wow, this is cool. Even though Number of the Beast is not my favorite Maiden album. My favorite Maiden album is their second album, Killers. Second favorite, Somewhere in Time. I thought Somewhere in Time was the last time that they released a Perfect 10 album. I I loved um, Seven Son of a Seven Son, don't get me wrong. But there were a couple of tracks on that I could do without, I'm not going to lie. But yes, from the first album up until Seven Son of a Seven Son, so, uh, uh, sorry, up from the first album up to Somewhere in Time, those six albums, Perfect 10. Either way, you can't go wrong. And, you know, it's funny because Maiden has had a lot of lineups. The lineup that they had for the last 21 years has been the most consistent, which is Steve Harris, Nico McBrain, Bruce Dickinson, Adrian Smith, Yannick Gers, and uh, Dave Murray and Adrian Smith. So those six guys have made up Maiden since 1999. But Killers has Paul Diano on vocals and uh, Clyde Burr on drums. Now, no insult to Nico McBrain, but Clyde Burr will always be my favorite Maiden drummer. I don't know. It's just something about his playing. I just think it's superior to Nico. And again, this is just an opinion. But, you know, the drumming on Killers is just classic. And Diano's voice... I mean, you could hear he improved greatly from the first album to Killers. Not that he needed improvement, but how do you go from sounding great on your first album to sounding better? You know, I mean, if that's not improvement, I don't know what is. He already sounded great on the first album. The production of the first album, you know, a lot of people think, well, it wasn't that good. If Martin Birch produced it, it would have sounded better. Why fuck up perfection? Leave it alone. <laughs> you know, and, you know, all respect to uh, Dennis Stratton, who was Dave Murray's original guitar player. But I don't know, for me, Adrian Smith is my guy. For God's sakes, I own an Adrian Smith guitar. If that's not made in fanboyism, I don't know what is. <laughs> but, you know, I love Dave Murray, and I think Yannick Gers and Dennis Stratton are both great players. But for me, Adrian Smith, that's my guy. And that's where we first heard him, was on the Killers album, and that's just my favorite that they've ever done. And that's not saying that anything they released after that was bad. It's just Killers was the album that, you know, made me a Maiden fanatic. So that's all I gotta say. And my favorite band of all time, drum roll, Black Sabbath. Yes, grew up with the Ozzy era, love the Dio era, love Born Again, love Seven Star, love the Tony Martin era, love Dehumanizer, love Cross Purposes, and fast forward, I love the Devil You Know from Heaven and Hell, which as far as I'm concerned is a Black Sabbath album. I don't give a damn if they call it Heaven and Hell. It's still Black Sabbath. It's the Mob Rules Dehumanizer lineup and the Heaven and Hell touring lineup. That album is more Black Sabbath than 13 was. I'm sorry. As much as I love Ozzy, as much as I think his voice defines Black Sabbath, it's nothing without Bill Ward on drums. Every other lineup of Black Sabbath, in my opinion, was more Black Sabbath than the last album that they released. 13 was shit. Forbidden was shit. That being said, 20 albums of their career, and yes, I'm including Devil You Know from Heaven and Hell in there, because that's a Black fucking Sabbath album, as far as I'm concerned. 90% of their output, perfect. I'll take it. And I could do without Forbidden, and I... I, and I can especially do without 13. 
Because to me, you need Ozzy and 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 Tony and Geezer and Bill for it to truly be Black Sabbath. The fact that Bill was not on 13, that album suffered. That being said, every album I just mentioned, those 18 albums are perfect. But my favorite Sabbath album This is hard because, you know, you can't go wrong with any of the, of the first 10, especially the Ozzy era. So I, man, this is tough because to me, all right, I'm going to throw everyone a bone. My five favorite Sabbath albums in in no order. Master of Reality, Volume 4, Sabotage, Heaven and Hell, and Mob Rules. You can't go wrong, (coughs) excuse me, with any of those albums. And Born Again is a great album too, but those are my top five. (laughs) And... For me, it's 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 hard to choose between those five because I love them all for different reasons, and I, I I'm not going to invalidate those reasons by choosing one over the other. So I'll just say, take your pick of those five and enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Music's meant to be enjoyed. You know, discuss amongst yourselves. But. Those are my top 10 favorite bands of all time. And I also mentioned my favorite albums from them. Black Sabbath is the only one that I mentioned. Five fucking albums because I can't pick one. Ah! Anyways. That's episode 41. (laughs) And I thank you all again for tuning in. Thank you for supporting me through this entire fiasco of a podcast. Yes, a fiasco, but my God, it's been fun. And I just want to say thank you to all the people that I mentioned. Matt, Jay, my wife, Erin, my brother-in-law, Mike, my sister-in-law, Melissa, Wayne and Greg of Ratsaw Review, James and Eric over at Beyond Bushido. I think I mentioned Bob and Matt, but Bob and Matt, you know, I did mention them. Okay. And, you know, the countless people that have come into my life in a positive way, whether they're musicians or friends or family, you know, I I cannot thank you guys enough for getting me to this point. I'm only going to release and produce more content and I'm looking forward to the ride and where it's going to take me. But all I know is that I'm going to have fun and that's all I care about. And much love to my baby girl, Anna. And, you know, it's a little over 12 years later that my dad's not here. And, you know, I thank him for believing in me without telling me, just showing it. You know, like I tell people all the time that when I graduated college, you know, he got me a, a 91 Ford Explorer as a gift. And I was like, Dad, why are you getting me a truck instead of a car? And he said, because I know you want to play music and this will really help you and your bandmates get your stuff from point A to point B. So he believed in me. Didn't like it, but he believed in me anyway. And I'll always be grateful to that to, to my father for that. That means thank you, Dad, in Greek. I'll always love you. And of course, I got to thank the two people who gave me my love for music. My brothers, Tony and Mike. You know, I mean, Tony was the one who introduced me to Black Sabbath. He also recently introduced me to the Birthday Massacre. I say recent as in the last seven years, so... I'm forever thankful to him for that. And Mike was the guy who made me want to be a musician. 
Eddie was the one who made me want to be a guitar player. Mikey was the one who made me want to be a musician. So forever grateful to my brothers for that. Anyways, that's enough for this episode of Music is Life podcast. Please like and subscribe and, you know, drop me a rating on iTunes. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, Music is Live podcast. Subscribe to Ratsaw Review. And, you know, big shout out to the Ratsaw Review family, you know, Wayne, Greg, and Eric and James, uh, Harrison Bergeron, and Old Man Metal, Suck My Balls, and, you know, the countless podcasts that we host. And thank you to Hamin Media Group for hosting Rat's Eye Review, the flagship show on their network as well. And that's all I got for tonight's episode. Thanks for listening. And not to quote Jerry Springer and say take care of yourselves and each other, but do take care of yourselves. Stay safe. COVID's still a thing, so just be careful. You don't want to catch it. Take it from someone who did catch it. And remember, music is life. All art is valid, and it's okay to disrupt the status quo. Take care, everyone. Bye. Looking for some new podcasts to listen to? Well, Rat Sound Review Network has plenty of shows to choose from. Like Rat Sound Review, where they discuss the latest rock and metal news, as well as interviews and albums. Album versus Album, the King Diamond Podcast, with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and sometimes this guy. Smack him a gob! Ralph Vieira is also on our network with the Vieira Bowl. There's also Old Man Metal's Musings, where he discusses heavy metal and beer. Music is Life with Lou Mavs. The Right Opinion for those who love politics. A South Park podcast called Suck My Balls. The Infinite Fringe. A watch-along wrestling show called Beyond Bushido. Ex Stradivarius guitarist, the Timo Tolki podcast. And the great Harry Barnett with I Don't Even Like Podcast and the Laughcast. So check out RatsoundReview.com or search RatsoundReview on YouTube, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. 